0: Hi, this is John Asher, author of "Close Deals Faster, the 15 Shortcuts of the Asher Sales Method. And you are listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.
1: Welcome to the Marketing Book Podcast, helping you keep up with the smartest thinking in the quickly changing field of modern marketing. And now, here's your host, Douglas Burdett. Hello, thanks for joining me on the Marketing Book Podcast, which is named by LinkedIn as one of 10 podcasts that will make you a better marketer. My goal for this podcast is to help you discover new ideas about what's actually working in the quickly changing field of modern marketing and sales. Don't worry about taking notes. You can find links to everything linkable in this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And since you're a listener to the Marketing Book Podcast, if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or some other helpful resource that I know of for whatever situation you find yourself in, just connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat and I'll try to point you in the right direction. Also, I'd like to thank our sponsor Blinkist. Blinkist is an app that takes the key insights from the best nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just a few minutes on your smartphone. Several of the books featured on the Marketing Book Podcast are on Blinkist. You can sign up for free at Blinkist.com slash MarketingBookPodcast. Blinkist is spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, and if you opt for the paid version, you'll get an additional 20% off, but only if you go to Blinkist.com slash MarketingBookPodcast. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. I'll have more on Blinkist in a few minutes. And now, on with the show. Today we welcome John Asher to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about his book "Close Deals Faster: The 15 Shortcuts of the Asher Sales Method," published by Idea Press. John is the co-founder of Asher Strategies, a Washington D.C.-based sales advisory and training firm that has trained over 80,000 executive salespeople and other customer-facing managers at over 2,000 companies in 22 countries. Prior to that, John co-founded an engineering company that grew at a 42% per year growth rate, compounded for 14 straight years. And along the way, the firm acquired seven other companies, and John figured out what it takes to develop a fast-growing business where everybody in the company is in sales. And interesting fact, John is a graduate of the United States Naval Academy and was the captain of two nuclear-powered, fast-attack submarines. John, congratulations on close deals faster, and welcome aboard the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Thank you. Uh, Great to be aboard.
1: So uh, now you are not the John Asher, who is the American actor and ex-husband of the Playboy Playmate Jenny McCarthy. I just want to make that clear to all the listeners. (laughs)
0: Uh, no. Now, it's not like I wouldn't have wanted to have been that, but no, that's not me. <laughs> okay.
1: Well, super. Um, I just have to say, you know, uh, when I saw that you are a Naval Academy grad and you were you were a, a submarine commander, I said to myself, what is the deal with Naval Academy grads who are submarine commanders who go on to great success in sales? And I say that because uh, over 15 years ago, I started my own business, my agency, And I finally realized I needed to get some sales training. So I went to the local Sandler franchise and the guy that owned it was a Naval Academy grad and former submarine commander, Brad McDonald. How we doing? Class of 77. His dad was a Naval Academy grad, submariner. His son went into the submarine uh, force and was also a Naval Academy grad. And I just think, wow, you know, there's (laughs) maybe you're (laughs) the only two, but uh, he's now working for Sandler Corporate. Uh, the folk in Baltimore, but I've got lots of friends who are Naval Academy grads. I've been there for many football games, and so it's great to have you on as my first Naval Academy grad. Um, now, let me say though, for the listener, this is the Marketing Book Podcast. Uh, this is a terrific book about sales, and you know why? Why do you have sales books? Well, uh, I'm a marketing guy who has a weakness for single malt scotch, and sales books. But more importantly, the, the the secret to success, just like in sales, is deeply understanding your customers. And there are, the more successful a marketer is at understanding the sales process and how their buyers buy and what the salespeople are doing are going to be uh, even more valuable as a, uh, as a marketer uh, in the future, which is why I really love having uh, books about sales on the Marketing Book Podcast. So, John, tell us the story of how this book came to be and why you wrote it.
0: Well, you know, when I was in the Pentagon, my last five years in the Navy, I was a buyer of a $2 billion program. And uh, as the program manager, you have three jobs. One, you're the program manager managing the program. Two, you're the buyer. So you and your staff put out RFPs, companies bid on them. You select a winner and they build the program. And three, and the most important You are totally a salesperson. You must keep the program sold. You're fighting for the money uh, from with all the other program managers. You got to go over to the House of Armed Services, uh, Senate uh, committee staffers, and schmooze them. So you are totally a salesperson. So when I left the Navy, I really had learned how to how to sell. Mm -hmm. You got to demonstrate. You got to understand the. the 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 warfighters and their journey just like in sales and understanding the customer's uh, journey you got to demonstrate the value of the program you know the ROI and that sort of stuff so be- very similar
1: mhm and explain briefly how this book is different from as you argue you know so many other sales books
0: well so um, after my career in the navy i was a navy engineer so three of us all friends uh, started a Engineering company selling back to the Navy. It was during the Reagan buildup years. Money was essentially everywhere. And so we're we're growing the company up and, and doing very well. By the way, the um, other two guys were, um, the, you know, they were great engineers. They could, um, they could write uh, software, develop algorithms, build computer-based models and simulations. I was a decent academic engineer, but as a practical engineer, I was pretty much of a flop. So in addition to being the CEO, I was, of course, the sales guy. Mm -hmm. I got lots of friends here in D.C. will say, you know, if you can't do real work, get into sales. (laughs) So so after going to about $10 we said, we've got to branch out to commercial companies. And so I personally started going to the various branded sales training classes. And the first one I went to, you've already mentioned, was Sandler. Because I'm from D.C., Sandler's in Baltimore, Mm -hmm. essentially right next door. That was Mm -hmm. one reason I tried them first. And the second reason was back then, Sandler had this seven-step sales process modeled after the seven compartments in a submarine.
1: And I should add, John, that recently we had on John Matson, the CEO of uh, Sandler, to talk about his book uh, Sandler Enterprise Selling, and we went through the submarine. Just, <laughs> just to interrupt, but please explain.
0: So I said to myself, you know, having just spent 17 straight years at sea on submarines, I said, obviously these guys know what they're talking about. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So the only trouble was that um, it seemed to me at at the time anyway, Sandler was focused on tactical sales, short sales cycle times. And that was not what I was used to in the Pentagon.
1: Yeah.
0: You know, where sales cycle times could be years. Mm -hmm. So the second one I tried was the IBM public course, no longer available to the public. But it was called complex sales. And three days, two nights, very complex, all about selling to a Fortune 500 company where there could be six buyers, 10 influencers, and sales cycle times could be a year. So now I've said, okay, you got Sandler, short, complex, long. What's in the middle? And then if you you know if you ask most people who are selling from one business to another, ask them about the typical sales cycle time, they'll say, well, a few months to maybe six months. Mm-hmm. That's when I found professional selling skills, the great Xerox sales training. I found Miller Hyman at Chief Global, Wilson Learning, and I kept going. And in the end, I'd gone to 15 branded sales training institutes. And as an engineer, you're kind of always looking for the you know, the big picture. And I wasn't really getting it from any of those classes until I got to Minneapolis to action selling. And action selling, to sum up their days worth of training, they train you. In all non-commodity sales. So if it's a commodity sale, you got to have the pr- low price or, or that's it.
1: Right. And we're not really going to talk about commodity sales today anyway. No. So, yeah.
0: So the other other parts of the, of the sales are called relationships or value sales. So action selling claims that all buyers make five decisions about us. And they always make them in the same order. Mm-hmm. Right? They never vary. Um, first, the buyer has to buy you, the salesperson. And I'm sure you know, based on your experience, if they don't buy you, how are we doing so far?
1: (laughs) It's almost (laughs) impossible. You might have as much luck with the lottery at that point. You've even got a lot of math behind this in the book.
0: (laughs) That's right. Second, they have to buy your company as a credible company. Third, they have to buy your offering, your product, service, solution. Fourth, they have to buy your price as reasonable. And fifth, and the worst one, they got to decide when to buy. And so after I had heard all of that and that overall architecture from action, I said, okay, now I think I can see where we can take the best from the Challenger sale, the best from Miller-Hyman, the best from Sandler, and merge it together into a set of 10 skills that would be ubiquitous, apply to all sales cycle times. And then over 20 years, we've re- our team has really developed what we call shortcuts. How do you make sales happen faster? Mm-hmm. So that's essentially what we put together. And it's unique because it just takes the best of what everybody else has said. I mean, there's nothing new, really, is there? <laughs> I
1: don't think so. I don't <laughs> think it. so. But I, I like the way you presented it. And I just, I particularly appreciate it because, you know, I'm kind of a, interested in all the different sales approaches and, and things like that. So let's let's go into some of the details, just a few of the details that you, you talk about in the book. We can't go into all of them. But in the book, you um, throughout it, you compare and contrast elite salespeople with average salespeople. And let's talk about uh, the concept of focusing on a few top prospects. You say that elite salespeople probably spend far less time than the average salesperson does when it comes to contacting leads. How can that be?
0: Well, it's because, I mean, right back to Sandler, one of the main focuses of Sandler Sales is to qualify fast, Mm -hmm. as fast as you can. And Sandler teaches five, five questions. Do they have a need? Are we a logical supplier? Do we have some sort of inside relationship like the coach concept from Miller-Hyman or the champion concept from um, Covey or the Guangxi in China? Fourth, is it in their budget to do something about this? Or if they really liked it, could they get the money? And fifth, uh, when are they going to buy it? And so if, you know, are they going to buy in a reasonable amount of time?
1: And can they make a, a decision? Do they even have that process?
0: Yes. And so if so, if all of those are yes, pursue robustly. If not, take a hike. So I totally believe in Sandler's approach. Qualify as fast as you can. Then you only have a few qualified leads that you can pay a lot of attention to. So you're focusing with a laser beam instead of a shotgun.
1: Right. It's much more of a – it was a great reminder of – uh, quality instead of quantity, another expression i've heard uh not from this book, but um no is my second favorite word <laughs> if you can, exactly right. if you can find that out early uh you're doing everybody a favor, uh particularly yourself there are, I, I i you must have seen it though there's lots and lots of companies that will focus on almost every prospect they can, almost anyone that can fog a mirror <laughs> what, what do you say to folks that are just that, that can 't focus in other words? If if I'm talking to a company, for instance, and I say, what are your top prospects? A lot of them don't even know that.
0: Yeah. So my favorite quote for this whole area about focusing is this. It's a very short quote, and it rhymes so you can remember it. Money flows where focus goes.
1: Mm-hmm. I underlined that one. <laughs> it yeah. Absolutely. Money flows where focus goes. And also for the marketers that are listening in, there's a lot of people in the business world or a fair number of uh, folks that maybe don't understand marketing or they came up at a time when marketing was more of the arts and crafts party planning, make it pretty department and they don't really understand what's going on. And I'm always encouraging the marketers to get in the revenue camp, understand how the sales happen, understand how the revenue happens, understand what the sales pipeline looks like. And uh, it seems like if marketers were to start asking questions of their businesses, it would help them by asking, who are our top sales prospects?
0: No, totally agree. In fact, I've kind of watched the uh, marketing sales evolution over the last 30 years, and You know, if it was 15 years ago, the director of marketing would would get up his nerve and invite the VP of sales to lunch. And after a martini or two, the director of marketing would say, you know, we give your sales guys these great qualified leads and they don't follow up. And the VP of sales would say, yeah, but they're crappy leads.
1: Yeah, the leads are weak.
0: (laughs) Exactly. But now with technology, you know, CRM, marketing automation, blogs, social media, and marketing, especially with marketing automation, because of technology, marketing and sales are so much more integrated now. And now marketing can really deliver qualified leads to salespeople.
1: Mm-hmm. And watch them, ideally, all the way through. Have some sort of agreement with sales where, you know, you guys are going to follow up on these and we're going to generate them. But, you know, <laughs> there's kind of a marriage contract now.
0: Yeah, so if you, got, you have a good database uh, with CRM, then everybody, the executives, marketing, sales, can see exactly how the, how the um, leads are flowing through the pipeline.
1: Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you mentioned already the challenger sale, and it uh, warmed my heart when you talked about it in the book. Explain why you argue that the challenger sale is one of the best resources for salespeople.
0: Well, the first reason the challenger sale has really come on strong in the last, oh uh, gosh, five, ten years, is because of all this new technology. And you can just start uh, naming it um, gas crackers, drones, hydraulic fracturing, machine learning, um, AI, a 2.2 million apps, smart software. Do you agree? I mean, you can just keep naming them, mm-hmm. the, the technology. And so, where the challenger sale comes in is it helps salespeople who um, want to upset a current relationship between a buyer and a and a uh, salesperson in their company that's solely based on relationships, they can replace that uh, vendor if they're able to use technology to challenge the buyer to pick up their game to a whole new level.
1: Mm -hmm. So, so uh, yeah, so let's walk through a little bit more about that. It's very interesting the way you presented it.
0: So I'll give you a quick example. Um, You're the buyer, I'm the seller. You're, you're the, you're the manufacturing company and you're in charge of buying all the parts for the manufacturing facility, the tool room, everything. And and I've been doing this. I've had this job selling to you for five years. we got great quality, great service, reasonable prices.
1: Will we play golf together.
0: Yeah, you and I have built a personal relationship. We have a beer, play golf together every now and then. So if uh, there was another salesperson also selling similar parts who wanted to replace me, it would be very difficult mm-hmm. because I pretty much own this relationship. Now, if another salesperson comes in and gets a meeting with you and said, "Um, you know, Doug, we do vendor-managed inventory, so if you give your parts supply business to us, there's no need for you to have that uh, warehouse full of parts, we'll own the warehouse or lease it. Mm -hmm. No need to have all those pesky, high-turnover-rate warehouse employees. They'll be our employees. And since you don't have to pay for parts until you actually use them, your cash flow velocity will be a lot faster, your balance sheet will be stronger, your... um, Available since we do this for so many large companies, availability will be essentially a hundred percent. So, if you, the buyer, now come back to me, your current supplier, and say, "John, do you does your company do <laughs> vendor managed inventory?" Mm-hmm. If I say, "Well, gosh, Doug, what do you mean by vendor managed inventory? How am I doing so far?"
1: Well, uh, at that point, I'm starting to realize also that I may not have been doing it right.
0: Exactly. So. So in the parlance of the book now, the other sales guy has challenged you, the buyer, to pick up your game to a whole new level, Uh, faster cash flow, a stronger balance sheet, higher availability. And so it's not a slam dunk, but there's a significant probability now that you're going to take that part supply business and give it to that other company. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: That's the essence of the challenger sale, using um, technology to disrupt uh current relationships. And I think I think you agree. We're all we're in the age of disruption totally as a as a world.
1: Yeah, and it's 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 the velocity is picking up. Yep. So another concept that was a great reminder and you know, I guess I kind of knew these things, but when I saw it applied in your book, it really was a, a wake-up call. And that's the concept of an insider. Um I had not realized how important an insider is and can you explain Uh, what what an insider is and and why they are so vital. There's even some uh, surveys behind this about how important it is.
0: It's mentioned in a lot of sales training classes. It's fundamental to the Miller Hyman training and it's called the inside coach who is, who you know, they know you, you know them, you were a wingmate, shipmate, worked together in a different company. You know, you've built a relationship with them over a year or so, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And, they are coaching you, like a football coach, on how to get the business. They're feeding you, you all the information about the requirements, issues, competition, income, and everything you need to know to get the business. And in the Cubby ch- training, it's called the Inside Champion. In China, it's called the Guanxi, the Inside Relationship. And a couple of interesting examples, you cannot do business in China without the Inside Coach, the Inside Relationship. It just is not going to happen. That's why you have to go drinking with them five times and go to karaoke with them. and
1: mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> They just won't trust you until they really understand you and like you and feel totally comfortable with you. Mm-hmm. And so the the statistics behind it are, if you have an inside coach who's feeding you all this information and really helping you get the work, you have an 80% chance of getting the business. If you don't, and you're just kind of knocking your head against the the bulkhead and your competitor has the inside coach. You're at the twenty percent chance. So it's a typical 80-20 rule.
1: Yeah, but the guy that the twenty percent chance is still uh, got happy years. He's got a lot of wishful, wishful thinking uh, going on there. Now, an insider though doesn't mean they're necessarily inside that business. There are some other ways that you can get uh, an insider, right?
0: Sure. It could be somebody who just left the company. It could be uh, the president of one of their key suppliers. It could be one of their consultants, could be a, their lawyer, their accountant. Um, there's all kinds of kinds of people who could be the coach. But the, you know, when you look at the three classic buyers, again, from the Miller-Hyman training, there's the user buyer mm-hmm. who's going to use your stuff to get their job done. There may be a technical buyer who's got to make sure the specs are met, the laws of physics aren't violated, your software will integrate with the other legacy software systems, you know that sort of thing. And there may be an economic buyer, uh, CFO, CEO, purchasing manager, who has got to give final approval before the money moves. If you can get the user buyer to be your coach, that's that's as good as it can get. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because they really want you to get the job, and they're the ones that really need help. And then they'll go off and convince the economic and, t- and technical buyer that they, that you're the right choice.
1: And why should a buyer beware If the CEO is the insider, excuse me, why should the seller be aware?
0: Well, the only trouble is uh, many, many sellers who just start out say, well, I want the CEO as my coach. But the trouble is if you sell the CEO or get the CEO interested and they try to jam you down the the throat of the rest of the people in the company who are actually doing the work, it can go down sideways. Mm -hmm. So- Obviously, if you could have the, all three of those buyers being your coach, life's pretty damn good. But if you, if you really just want to focus on one, focus on the user buyer.
1: Yeah, and I've also seen, not scientific research, but my sense is that I've seen more CEOs who want their technical and users to figure it out on their own and make a recommendation to them. Exactly. Uh, that's right. what they're paying them for. And plus they're going to have to implement it. They need to, they need to own it. So I want to read uh, just one excerpt from uh, the the beginning of chapter four about uh, building rapport. Most buyers are driven by emotions and gut feelings. If they like you, you're far more likely to make the sale. If they don't like you, there is very little that you can say that will change their mind. This difference is a tough lesson for many salespeople to understand, John Asher. Why is it a tough sales lesson?
0: Well, I got to drop back and and uh, give you some uh, some little history. So, um, there's three areas of our brain. If you want to really simplify it, the reptilian brain, fight, flight, freeze, appease brain, autonomic functions like digestion, breathing, heart rate. There is the emotional brain that came on about 150 million years ago. It's all about storing pictures, images feelings. And then about 2 million years ago, with the advent of primates, the rational brain came on the scene. And the rational brain is our conscious brain, the one we're thinking with every day. It's the facts, figures, complex thinking, and that sort of thing. And if you ask neuroscientists to kind of simplify it, they'll say, well, since they're both over 150 million years old, you can lump the emotional and reptilian brain together and call them the old brain and the rational brain as the new brain. And we now know from, I mean, a worldwide forum of neuroscientists all, all collaborating together, that all decisions are made in the old brain. And we know that from studying people in, in hospitals who've lost the old brain by a disease, a tumor, or a car accident, those people cannot make a decision. They can't decide whether to have a ham or a turkey sandwich for lunch. Mm-hmm. So we now know all decisions come from the old brain, and you may have heard a statement like this. The listeners may have heard this. We decide on emotion and justify with logic. Mm -hmm. Right, Doug? You've heard some version of that? Yes. Right? We've all heard it.
1: Mm -hmm. We want to deny it often. Yes. (laughs) Particularly when we're selling. We're trying to include facts, but go ahead.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Damn it, the facts. (laughs) And so, (laughs) So here's a way to think about how it practically applies. Your company and two others are in a hot, hot competition. All three companies have good experience, good quality, good service, reasonable prices. So in the buyer's mind, all three companies are essentially tied for first. Which one does the buyer choose? The one they like. Yeah, the one they like the best, the one they feel the best about, the one that has uh, built the best rapport.
1: Mm-hmm. There's a lot of that subconscious in there.
0: All subconscious. All comes from the old brain. Mm-hmm. Now, here's, this, here's where the logic comes in. Your company and, one, and two others are after another big hot opportunity. Your company and one other are essentially tied for first in the buyer's mind. And then there's an average company. Even though the buyer may, may like the salesperson from the average company the best, may feel the best about them, and they have built the best rapport, the buyer is not going to choose them because they do not have the logic to justify the emotional buy. So the practical application for salespeople is many salespeople think if they got great stuff, that's all it takes. Mm-hmm. But it ain't all it takes. You so, got to have a relationship.
1: Yeah. And, and talk about some of the things that – so we've established why being liked is so much more important than I think a lot of people realize. Yep. What are some of the things that salespeople and companies can do to be better liked? So there are – um, six
0: stimuli that will wake up the buyer's old brain where decisions are made, and there are about 50 cognitive biases that apply to sales. And a cognitive bias means it's a, the old brain's developed a shortcut or a, um, a rule of thumb or a tendency. It's called a bias. And since it's part of the brain, it's called a cognitive bias. If it's a cognitive bias that will also lead us astray, it's called a heuristic. An example of a heuristic would be uh, a guy comes in, this guy is, is, uh, he's applying for a job uh, as a software developer, and he comes into your office and his beard is totally untrimmed. He, he really won't look you in the eye. He had a weak handshake and his tennis shoes are dirty. So you just your old brain totally rejects the, the person on appearance. Well, it could have been that he would have been the best software developer in the Hampton Roads area. And so now we have missed the best possible software developer, and it really doesn't matter whether his beard's untrimmed or not, because he's going to be in the back office (laughs) developing software. (laughs)
1: Mm
0: -hmm. So so that's an example of a heuristic where the cognitive bias leads us down the wrong path. So here's here's a couple that apply to to salespeople every day. One's called the compliment bias. So we are totally biased towards people that compliment us. And there's a book written about by it, by uh, Don Olson, who was the founder of the Gallup organization. And we're all other psychologists in his time frame were studying how to fix people. His whole deal was how do you make people better? And what he found, he wrote a book called how full is your bucket? What he found is if you compliment other people, a lightning bolt goes off in their, in their old brain and they'll then compliment other people. And so if you get that going in a company where everybody's complimenting each other frequently, the whole culture the whole of uh, the whole company just goes sky high. So when you're going to meet a buyer for the first time, do great research. Uh, watch a video on their website. Look at their website. Look at their facilities. And when you first meet the buyer, give them a compliment. It doesn't have to be about their shirt could be how you were treated by the receptionist or the facilities or the video on their website. Take advantage of the compliment uh, bias. Mm -hmm. Another bias is called the reciprocity bias. That is, our old brains are totally biased towards people who give us stuff. (laughs)
1: Like the samples at the grocery store.
0: Exactly. And so we are biased towards giving something back. And so an example would be when a salesperson meets a buyer for the first time, bring an article, bring a book that you've read that applies to their industry or whatever, you know, some new book, and, and just give it to them as a gift and tell them why you're giving it to them. And then what happens is in the buyer's old brain, the old brain is totally biased towards giving something back, and what they typically give back is greater insight into their needs right away. Mm-hmm. Here's a couple of other interesting ones about what you should offer to buyers. One is called a single option aversion bias, and that is if you only offer the buyer one option, um, the the old brain has nothing to compare it to, so it, it just won't make a decision. Multiple studies show offer one, one option to a buyer, 10% will buy. Offer two similar options, 64% will buy. A difference in closing rates, a rates of 640%. The practical application for sales is never just offer a single solution. Mm-hmm. The other bias that goes along with that is called the choice paradox bias. And choice means don't give too many choices. And the paradox part of that means most salespeople will say, well, you know, if I, if I show the buyer we've got seven different offerings, one of them's they're, they're surely they'll like one of them. <laughs>
1: Throw the right? kitchen sink in there.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so because of the choice paradox bias, never offer more than three. So if you take both of those biases together, the right answer, as a salesperson, never offer only one option, never offer more than three. So always offer two or three.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: You see it play out in, in uh, real life all the time. So if you go to an upscale restaurant where they have a white tablecloth and they have specials, how many specials do they typically have?
1: Mm. Two, two or three. Okay.
0: It used to be when we bought a car 20 years ago, there was all these options to consider.
1: Right, right. And there's like three versions of my car. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Now there's two or three packages. Interesting. Interesting. All because of that.
1: We're going to take a break here so I can tell you more about how Blinkist can help your career. Listening to the Marketing Book Podcast says more about you than you may realize. In addition to being physically attractive, Seriously, I've met many of you and you are a very attractive audience. It also means that you're curious and serious about your business success and you enjoy learning new things. And your interest in learning also means you're either successful or will be because all the research indicates that big learners are big earners. Plus, with all the changes happening in marketing and sales, continuous learning is crucial. But there's only so much time and you need to manage it carefully. And unless you're, say, the host of the Marketing Book Podcast, you may not be set up to read a book every week. That's where Blinkist can really be a time saver and a career booster. Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, is a smartphone app that takes the key insights from over 2,000 best-selling nonfiction books and distills them into a format that you can read or listen to in just 15 minutes or less. Instead of having to wade through hundreds of pages of a book, spending hours reading each book like I do every week, you can go through two books in 30 minutes. And the books that are on Blinkist are really top-notch, including several books that have been featured on the Marketing Book Podcast, including The New Rules of Marketing and PR by David Merriman Scott, Perennial Seller by Ryan Holiday, Epic Content Marketing by Joe Polizzi, Everybody Writes by Ann Hanley, Hug Your Haters by Jay Baer, and many, many more. It took me hours to read those books, but you can get smart audio summaries of each one in just 15 minutes. Blinkist has been selected as one of the best apps by Forbes, New York Times, and BuzzFeed, amongst others, and it's used by over 1 million people. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer for Marketing Book Podcast listeners. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast right now, today, to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan when you join. That's Blinkist, B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast to start your free trial or get 20% off your yearly plan. I recommend getting the yearly plan, that's what I did, and getting 20% off because you're going to want to keep it anyway. But don't worry because there's a 30-day money-back guarantee. No questions asked. Go to Blinkist.com slash Marketing Book Podcast, and that means you're going to be letting them know that you support the Marketing Book Podcast and that you want that discount. You'll get the free version or 20% off your annual plan. I also have a link to it at MarketingBookPodcast.com. It's a great, inexpensive, and very smart investment in your professional development and career. And now, back to the show. John, let me uh, just read one other uh, of my favorite sections from the book. And i want to have to ask a few more questions that are super relevant to sales and marketing. This is from page 129. It is vital to totally focus on the buyer's point of view. For example, if you are selling drills, your questions should be about holes. If you are selling pins, your questions should be about writing requirements. Your product or service must be a solution to their problem So you must address that problem from the buyer's perspective. Can you talk a bit about why companies uh, and salespeople tend to want to start talking about their products uh, long before they've discovered any kind of pain or even understand what the the problem is that they're solving?
0: (laughs) Well, there's so many reasons.
1: (laughs) We'll do part two of this interview. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So
0: one of one of the problems is a lot of people are big talkers, so they can't shut up. Half the people. Another part of the issue is it's easy. We just, salespeople who are untrained think, hey, if I just explain all my stuff, then, then what else do we need to do? If it fits them, they'll buy it. If not, then, you know, no problem. I'll, I'll keep moving on. And a- another part of it is 70 years of research on the old brain shows that it is much more impactful for the buyer to tell us what they need than it is for us to tell them that they want what we've got. And there's a couple of these other biases that apply to this. I'll just give you a couple. One's called the safety bias. So do salespeople or do buyers consider salespeople to be safe?
1: Do buyers consider salespeople safe? No, I would think not. No, they don't. They want their money and you know, they, they don't know they can trust no. them.
0: And not only that, the salespeople want to upset another bias called the status quo bias. Mm -hmm. So it's much more comfortable for all of us to keep on doing what we're doing than to change. And of course, salespeople want us to change. So um, if you go back to one of the um, old brain stimuli, the six stimuli, one of them is called me, me, me focused. And that is we're all focused on our own safety, our own success, our own happiness. And so one of the practical applications is if, you know, is is the buyer's old brain stimulated by listening to a salesperson talk?
1: (laughs) I'm going to go out on a limb here and say no. (laughs) No.
0: But if you can get the buyer to talk about themselves, their issues, their background, their passion, more dopamine and serotonin is released in their brain than during romance or a great meal. So we actually now know the science behind why we should get the buyer to talk first mm-hmm. another Here's another interesting example of this me 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 focused. Does the buyer actually care about your product?
1: No, the seller's mom doesn't even care about the product
0: <laughs> you're bad
1: <laughs> well and and she's proud of her son
0: exactly. <laughs> So here's a, here's a difference. We talked about this in the beginning, the difference between the average and the elite salespeople. Watch an average salesperson give a presentation. Here's the architecture. Here's the uh, vision for our company. Here's a picture of the CEO. Here's a picture of our newest facilities. Here's a list of our seven integrated IT technologies. Let's start with um, I, uh, the details of IT technology number one. What do you think? The buyer's decision-making old brain awake yet?
1: Uh, if they're talking about the buyer... Yeah. I've sat in, I mean, I I laughed to keep from crying when I read that in your book, that you described that old way of, or that that me, me, me approach to uh, presentation. This is a picture of our factory. This is a picture of our board. This is us. We've been in business this long. I've been in those presentations. uh, And it's, it's, it's painful, even if you're working for the company that's giving it.
0: Exactly. So the great salespeople, here's their first slide, their first flip chart, the first TV screen, the title of that first slide is, Here is Our Understanding of Your Needs. Mm-hmm.
1: All about them.
0: Exactly. And we now know from these latest functional MRI machines, and and that is, think of a buyer wearing a helmet with an MRI machine built into it. We now know from these studies with functional MRI machines that, again, if you can get the buyer to talk about their passion, their background, their interests, where they came from, Again, more dopamine and serotonin released in their in their brains than during a great meal, which is important to all of us, and and lovemaking, which is also important to <laughs> yes. us.
1: Yes, it's so, crazy. Yeah.
0: the science, The science behind it is just crazy.
1: It is. Um. And let me just ask one other uh, question about the book that is I, just a hot topic, and it's about price. And you say that sellers often think buyers rank price as one of their top one or two priorities in a non-commodity sale, of course. Right. But you say that is far from correct. What's going on there?
0: Well, there's three things happening typically. One is, in many cases, the buyer will use the price to say no when it's a non-price reason. They don't like the salesperson. They don't like the salesperson's boss. They don't like the product. They don't like the company. Mm -hmm. And if they actually told the salesperson the truth – Then the salesperson might start begging, crying, showing more PowerPoint, more videos on their iPad, going around (laughs) to their boss. And buyers (laughs) don't want any of that.
1: Ah!
0: (laughs) Right. So that's the first reason. Since they use the price to say no for non-price reasons, it sounds like they're using the price more than it actually is. Yes. Another reason would be, um, let's pretend you're a buyer of a $50 million company. You've got three purchasing managers working for you. And you have this continuing flow of procurement requests coming in from the seven people in the company who are authorized to buy stuff to a certain level. Three C-level people, four department heads, that sort of thing. And so your job and your job of your three purchasing managers is to go get the stuff. What will get you fired the fastest other than, you know, being dishonest? What would get you fired the fastest?
1: Buying the wrong stuff, Exactly. Regardless of the price. And I think you talked about that. There was like an oil or an energy company. And if they were yeah. down two shifts, they had like, what, 25 different suppliers. And if they were down for two shifts, that guy lost his job. Something yeah. like that. He's not exactly. worried about price. <laughs> He's worried about no, his job. So,
0: exactly. So, so as a buyer, you really, your real job is to get the right stuff so that the people inside the company can support the company's customers. Paying a little bit too much to get the right stuff will, in fact, not get you fired. That's actually what the CEO wants you to do,
1: mm-hmm.
0: right? Find the best suppliers who's going to keep us out of trouble, get us, get us going on the right track. Yeah. And yes, that example you mentioned is a perfect example of it.
1: So, John, if readers took only one thing away from the book, what would you hope it would be?
0: I think it would be a recognition of all these new studies from neuroscience about how the old brain works. And what we can do as a salesperson to respond to those six stimulus, like the me, me, me focused, and the 50 cognitive biases, like the single option aversion and the choice paradox, always offer two or three solutions. So now, what's great about all this, in my view, is now we have the science behind sales. Mm -hmm. So it's not just what you learned a while ago or what your sales manager told you to try or what you learned from trial and error. We know exactly why we should be doing the techniques we're using because we've got the science behind it.
1: Absolutely. Well said. And I've had the pleasure of interviewing a, a few other authors who've been able to talk in their books about some of that new science, including um, David Hoffeld, who wrote The Science of Selling. And he really went in, just as the title implies, uh, very much into the, to the, a lot of the new brain science that's, that's available
0: yeah, no, I, I know David well. It's, it's a great book.
1: Oh, good. I didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah, it was one of my favorites, and uh, he's a real uh, geek when it comes to reading um, uh, like uh, clinical <laughs> yeah. research, and it took yeah, him 12 yeah. years to write the book, but it was very, yeah. very interesting. So uh, you've talked about several other books, but what, what other books have inspired your work and, and career? Probably the one,
0: I know it's going to sound crazy, but I really have read 800 uh, plus business and sales books.
1: Wow, you should host a podcast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> My whole deal is you got to be, you know, in today's internet-based global economy, you better be in continuous learning mode or you're, you're in trouble.
1: It's it's true. And all the studies show that, you know, big learners are the big earners now. I agree. So
0: one of the books I read way back in the beginning was called First Break All the Rules. It's a Gallup book, Marcus Buckingham. And it and so it's a, it's a, all about hiring employees and managing them and it was a study of i may get these numbers wrong but it's like this 3 million employees and 800,000 managers and so it wasn't just a couple of guys opinion it was input from a lot of employees and managers and the name of the book first break all the rules means what you thought it takes to be a great manager ain't necessarily so hmm. so the first rule is find out what people are great at Get them in that seat on the bus. Right back to good to great from, you know, right? Same thing. The second rule is um, find out what people aren't good at and don't try to fix them. Manage around them. Team them up. Mm -hmm. And then the third rule is when you see some employees leaving from a certain division, look at the manager. Because most employees will stay in a bad company with a great manager, but they will not stay in a great company with a bad manager. Interesting. Anyway, there's 10 rules in that, in that book, all all great, great stuff.
1: Yeah, I, I had heard of the book. I've never read it. But that, along with all the other books that you've mentioned, we're going to include links to to make it easier for the listener at your episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com.
0: Thank you. I was just going to say the second book and the best business book I've ever read was The Go-Giver. Oh okay. Have you read that one by no. John Bob Berg and John um, I got a lot to do
1: this weekend. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a short book and it's a story. You can read it in 2 hours. It's the, it is the best business book I ever I've ever read. It had the biggest impact on me of any book.
1: Oh, well, I appreciate you mentioning that. I'm definitely going to have to read that. I've heard of it, but and I hear about a lot of books, but um, yeah. Go Giver. Okay. So, are there any um, recent or upcoming books that you recommend or are looking forward to reading? Well, you know, I bought
0: Dan Pink's new one called Win. Mm-hmm. I like, I've read all of Dan's books, all good. So I'm looking forward to I just haven't gotten to it yet, but I'm going to get to it.
1: I haven't gotten to that one either, but he is like one of those authors where I just just go ahead and buy the book because you know you exactly. Gonna, you're not going to exactly. read it. Yeah. Uh, and there are not too many like that, but uh, he is definitely one of them. So, John, how best can listeners learn more about you and your book? Well, they
0: can just go go to our website, aurestrarates and um, the book is available in bulk from the publisher, and, and of course, it's just go to Amazon. In fact, when it came out on, in October, the Amazon Reserve sold out in 15 minutes, which is pretty cool. Now, you know, you never know, Doug, that maybe there's only three books in stock. <laughs>
1: right. Well, you know, there's the scarcity principle there, so uh, <laughs> right. there you go. And, and on Twitter, you're also at Asher Strategies. Uh, and I'm marketing books. So if you're listening out there, uh, send a tweet, John's way, thank him for being on the, the podcast and we will include a link to Azure strategies and I'm going to include a link to your LinkedIn profile for folks. But also there's another link that I really want people to get, which is a link to lots of resources on your website, lots of, uh, downloads, eBooks, uh, really very, very helpful. And several of which you mentioned, uh, while I was, uh, you mentioned in the book. Right. So, John, earlier I said, what's the deal with uh, Naval Academy grads and submarine commanders that makes them so good at sales? And I'll tell you the answer. This is my opinion. Okay. They, they okay. understand systems. Uh, and I think anyone that's ever served on a submarine would probably say, yeah, it's very much a, a system. So I want to close yep. with a, a one last quote from towards the end of the book. You said, as mentioned in the preface, closed deals faster isn't a random collection of sales tips. It's a compilation of skills and processes deliberately assembled to help you achieve your sales goals. I've always been attracted to processes. Perhaps it's the engineer, sailor, and executive me wanting to streamline actions to gain accuracy and speed to make the complex simple. Repetitive processes are the lifeblood of success. People who excel at what they do, from technology innovators to professional athletes, develop and refine processes so they can continuously improve. This is not a new idea. Aristotle said virtues are formed in man by doing the actions. The American historian and philosopher Will Durant later echoed this wisdom. We are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. The name of the book is Close Deals Faster, The 15 Shortcuts of the Asher Sales Method. The author is John Asher. John, thank you very much for being on the Marketing Book Podcast.
0: Great to be with you, Doug. Thank you.
1: And that closes the book on episode 170 of the Marketing Book Podcast. For more, check out this episode's show notes at marketingbookpodcast.com. And if I can recommend a specific marketing or sales book or other helpful resource, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, where we can chat, and I'll try to point you in the right direction. My name again is Douglas Burdett. Special thanks to our sponsor, Blinkist. To support the Marketing Book Podcast and start your free Blinkist trial or get 20% off your yearly plan, visit blinkist.com slash marketingbookpodcast. I also have a link to that special offer at marketingbookpodcast.com. And please join us next time as we welcome Todd Hockenberry to the Marketing Book Podcast to talk about the new book he has co-authored with Dan Tire, Inbound Organization, How to Build and Strengthen Your Company's Future Using Inbound Principles. Thanks again for listening to the Marketing Book Podcast.